Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julia Lau. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Today we are recording episode 92, and then we have an exciting guest. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this book, uh, this podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, a Gift from Adversity by Julia Lau is on, uh, available, available on Amazon. And the subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. I published this book after I had many speech engagement and people asked me if I had a book, but I didn't. So now I do have the book. And after I published my book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world about their adversities and sharing the stories. And I felt very compelled to create a platform where people can talk about adversities, but not only that, to share the tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. And it's been wonderful having wonderful guests from all over the world and sharing the stories and it has served my soul and it had, it, it's been a wonderful journey to learn their stories. So thank you so much for tuning in Let's invite our guest today. Hi, Ambila. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And may I congratulate you on your book. That's amazing. Thank you. So, Ambila, let's um, introduce you to our audience. Can you tell your name, where you're coming in from today, and what you do, and if you have a website or social media? Um, my name's Ambila Nath. I'm currently in England, the south of England, in a place called Brighton, so we're just by the sea. Um, I'm a spiritual business coach, I'm also a tarot reader and energy healer, and I incorporate the logic and spiritual in guiding my um, clients to grow their business and become magnetic manifestors. I'm all about manifesting. my website, everything about me is under my name. So you get the spelling right, Ambila Nath, and you will find me. So my website is ambilanath.com, and you will find me most active on Instagram. So that's ambila underscore Nath. And you will find me and Facebook as well. But those are the fastest ways to get hold of me, my website and Instagram. Got it. And then what is on your website? Um, as in the handle for my website, it's ambilanath.com. Yes. And then what kind of content can people find on your website, like your business, how to book your session, etc. Um, people can find, um, relating to mainly my coaching, which is a one-to-one program. I help businesses to grow by teaching them skills on manifesting, tuning into their intuition. So you go through a logical process, but you also implement a lot of spirituality and you know guidance. But you can also book my singular services, which are to do with my energy healing sessions, as well as getting insights and readings from me. So when you go onto my website, you will find all of those kinds of pages to be able to book calls with me, sessions with me, and anything else you may want to find out about me. Thank you so much. So, Ambila, let's talk about the first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience what was your adversity? 
Well, this adversity changed my life because the decision I made basically changed my life. Um, I'm an Asia, British Asian woman, second generation Indian Asian woman in England. And um, so when my parents came to England, they held on to their culture, their values, the, the way you know they were brought up, their opinions about women's roles very tightly. The people they were surrounded by, family, friends that we grew up with, all had that same type of mindset and thinking. So being a, I suppose you could say first generation, well, second generation, but, um, settling in England, I struggled with both cultures and I didn't struggle in my own role and fitting in, but I struggled with regards to the expectations my parents had with how I should be, how my life should be. So my journey has been very much fighting for them to allow me to be an independent woman and get to a place where I could celebrate my independence and success and not be judged on it. So I went through years of cultural and societal gift, I mean guilt, not gift, um, where there was a lot of emotional and verbal bullying, expectations of, oh my God, because the expectation you know, was that you graduate as a woman, not so much as a man, as a woman you graduate, and then literally the next day you're planning a wedding which is going back to the 1950s and 60s kind of mentality of a women's role. And that's basically what it was. But I knew I wanted something more. So trying to um, fit myself into a mold, I just couldn't do it. So it was constantly living a double life because I had a very successful career. I used to work back then as a uh, management consultant. So I had a really, really successful corporate job doing really well. My parents didn't like that success. They thought that against me. They thought she can't get any suitors because she's doing so well that the men she's attracting, their egos can't stand it. So rather than try and find me men who are better, <laughs> who could do, you know, who would be happy, they were, nope, we need to basically knock you down. We, we can't have you flying. We can't have you being that success. So there were so many ways they just tried to really constrain me. So it's like a bird wanting to fly and they're constantly pulling me in, chaining me down, putting restrictions on me. And yeah, it, it was really difficult. I went through, so literally after graduating to when I made the change, about seven years, seven years of trying to conform, trying to make it work in some kind of a way that I could have you know that that life that they wanted me to have and you know make that work and so many other people around me because we grew up in a community where we were the eldest of the children one second alexis stop see that's when you know it's life <laughs> um 
So we grew up and we were the eldest of the children. So everybody else, their children were a bit younger. So they weren't going through, you know, this kind of choice for, you know, their, their child or any kind of resistance. So therefore, I was shunned upon as being this um, arrogant, abusive, rude, you know, girl who does she think she is kind of attitude. And my parents, if my parents had been left to their own device, I think they would have been fine. I don't think I would have had so much of this um, cultural, you know, abuse. But because they were trying to fit into a society and get their approval, it just came down so much more. And um, my dad is very old school, still is very old school. So his views of a role of a woman was very much about it's up to your husband what he allows you to do. So it's his choice, not your choice, not about what you want to do, but it's about if he allows you to have dreams, then you have dreams. So there was so much thinking and mindset of, you know, constantly battling. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a difficult, very dark, difficult time. I used to keep on hoping that every year would be better. Every time a new year came, I remember every time I used to go, come on, please make this year better. Please make this year, you know, different, please make. And then every year it'd be the same. And then, yeah, it, it, it just went on for, as I said, seven years, as long as I allowed it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And growing up in England, which the culture is not, as conservative as India, I assume, and then maybe comparing to your friends and then women around you in the United Kingdom, how did that make you feel? Well, the, the funny thing was that India was evolving and changing. So had my parents stayed in India, they would have known that India was changing and evolving. But because they came to a foreign country, they held on to their reins so much more tighter than they had they been in their own country because they were scared that I would become so British that I wouldn't value my own culture. I would forget everything about it. And that's what their fear was. It wasn't so much of who I was as a person or that I was a bad human being. It was about, she's gonna forget her language, she's gonna not respect us because their views of the Western culture was very much that everybody lives independently, there's no community, there's no friendships, people are selfish. So it was all, and our culture in their minds is all about community, it's all about love, it's all about sticking together. And so th that's the kinds of things that they were coming from. So to answer your question regarding, um, you know, women being more independent here than actually in India. Yes. Um, I don't feel that the British culture had that much of an effect on me where I thought, okay, that the women there are so much more independent, so therefore I should be allowed to be the same. I just felt it as a human being. 
that I should be allowed that, not because I was a woman, but because I should be allowed to live my dreams, but still be able to have the life that I want, which was exactly what they wanted for me, you know, to have a happy home, to have children, to have marriage, to have all of that, but then also have what I'm passionate about, which is have a career and be successful at it and be okay with that. Yes, and I can completely relate with you because I'm from Japan, where, say, my mother's generation, my grandma generation, I grew up with that. Yeah. A lot of Middle Eastern countries and African countries, and I know about India, it's just so culturally, historically mm. rooted. And for instance, um, like my relatives, some of them were not allowed to go to school and to go to cooking school. And expectation, my mom, not so much, but my dad and his side of family, yes. I've never seen like men stand up for refill of rice. Yeah. Yeah. We were taught to walk behind men. I still can't walk in front of man. Like it's just like my muscle is wounded. And when you have two sets of parents, wherever you are living in, whether in India or wherever UK, it's it's hard. It's very hard. And the things that people don't understand is you mentioned about cultural abuse, cultural pressure, and then society pressure that where you have to be a certain way. It just, you cannot be, you can never be right. And it is a constant fight, like you said. And part of the reason why I came to America was because the whole Japanese culture is like that. And then I didn't, and then you said flying bird knocking down. So in Japanese, we say deruku So it means like the sticking um, nail should be smacked down. So that means supposed to behave equally yeah. where there's social mask and yeah. nobody stand out. Yeah, and completely. And you know, as I said, it was very much to do with individual mindsets because that's my parents were from the time. I mean, they're still alive. I'm not saying was, but they came from a time where they experienced the um, Indian independence, you know, 1947 when India got partitioned. So they lived through that. So a lot of their mindset and fears and everything have come from, as you said, historical, you know, reasons. And as a result of that, they've really kind of, you know, to this day, my father more than my mother now have really held on to those things really tightly. Um, but it, it was difficult. And I think it was more difficult because they couldn't or had not had anyone around them who could show them something different. So 
you know, for them, this this was the norm. This this is the norm that you um, bring your children up by fear and guilt, and those were the two controlling things that you know you you put fear and guilt into your children, then they're going to conform, then they're going to do you know what you need them to do. You um, don't instill any confidence in them, so that any time that you know that they do good, you knock them down. Um, encouragement I shouldn't say confidence it's more encouragement they don't encourage you because I, I think even as a child I was confident but you never got that extra encouragement because they didn't have it in themselves so it's hard for parents and people to give you something that they don't already have but culturally it was difficult because you know you felt it when you were at social engagements of and the worst part of it is and it still exists in this day and age certainly in you know my culture well the eastern culture women judging women and when i used to be at social engagements and because i was at that time i think i was 23 24 when i graduated that is oh my god she is old now She's, uh, you know, heading for spinster, because if you're not married by 23 or engaged, at least, that's it. You're on the shelf. You're Nobody is going to marry you. Then you're going for the rejects and anybody who's going to accept you. And then you should be lucky with, you know, that's the kind of mentality they had. And I remember so many social, you know, engagements where women would just be looking at me and and without even verbally saying anything you could just see it in their eyes and the energy how they would just be looking at you as if you were worthless as if as a woman you hadn't fulfilled your you know what you, your purpose was <laughs> which was to be married to be miserable but just to be there to produce children because you had just married for the reason of producing children and not because you wanted to be married or you love the person you wanted to be married to so yeah so it was, it was a very difficult time in japan i remember mm -hmm. my piano teacher was saying that 25th is christmas so you don't want to be a leftover christmas cake and that means yeah. after the 24 age 25 around that age that you mentioned yeah. that you yeah. need to be married and then nobody will take you kind of kind of thing yeah. so the same in japan like definitely changing definitely changing yeah. but this is like you know when i was growing up and i'm 46 years old so it's a pressure and then i agree with you amongst the women not just the parents but then all this um biases and then cultural training and not knowing anything else and then the comparing to what your parents taught or culture taught it is so hard to break through and then when you are in a society where you are surrounded by this mindset and then you don't have any other support and if you have a different opinion it is the most um cruel feeling and then isolation isolated feeling yeah it is it, it got to a point where 
I just felt I didn't have anyone. I mean, and when I say anybody, I really mean anybody. All of my family members, it felt that they were just all against me. They couldn't understand what, why I was being so rebellious and so difficult. Why can't I just fit into what's expected? You know, it wasn't as if they were saying to me, go and kill somebody, you know, or, you know, do something really bad. It was just marriage marriage just for the sake of marriage they couldn't understand when I was saying yeah I want that but I want it with a man I'm gonna love a man who actually knows me and they're like yeah but that happens you get married and then, then it happens and then if he's abusive or then you know then that's your fate so you know if it doesn't work out that's your fate and you're sitting there going but that's not what I want. And and it can be different. You you don't need to so it was so difficult you know constantly going through those kind of mindsets but as I was saying it just got to a stage where um I didn't have anybody on my side because within my family it was very much I remember having family meetings where they would all sit me down and then they would all you know as a collective be telling me how I needed to live my life that I needed to give up my job because they thought I was being too independent and it was stopping me from getting a man because, you know, I was far too successful, that I needed to um, stop going out and seeing friends. I had curfews put on with, you know, when, and I'm a full grown adult at that time, but I had curfews put on restricting me on when I could, you know, be out of the house who I could go and see when I could go and see, because they thought the more I, they restrict and make my life miserable, then maybe I will just give in and go, yeah, okay, I'll get married, because then at least I can be out of here. So I, I don't know what their way of thinking was, but they were just literally trying to control everything. That sounds really horrible. It was. <laughs> It, it was difficult now that it, it's funny how you forget so much because it's been so long and then you know just talking about it you're like oh my god yes that happened and this happened but yeah it, it was tough it was tough years I remember I had a adult Indian piano student and she said she got married um, in the arranged marriage in the cast and she never met her husband until like three days before the wedding. And I'm like, what did you just say? And then she said she had seen a picture, but that's about it. And then what are you gonna do like if you don't get along? And then she said, we just accept who he is. Okay. You know, I am not condemning the way people meet people because for some people that has actually worked and they've had very successful marriages. My parents were not of that. My parents, you know, I'm, I'm defending them, even though I've said their mindset and culturally, they would never ever have um, shown me a photo and said, this is it, this is who you're going to marry. They were, for them, it was about my siblings had all found their own, you know, partners and um i was the only one left because of the because of what i'd seen um with my siblings i knew i couldn't marry things are different now but at that time i couldn't marry 
anybody who wasn't Indian. So forget, you know, that ever existing. So you knew already that was in my mindset ingrained. There was going to be, so therefore I was finding it difficult to be with somebody because I didn't want to be with an Indian. <laughs> and because of, you know, all of these kinds of mindsets. And then um, it, it was very much regarding what needed to be done and because i just was not fitting into that little box they wanted it was hard but they wouldn't have forced me to you know marry anybody just by seeing a photo it would have been it an introduction then you get to spend some time with them date for a little while and then you make a decision on do you want to get engaged or not but if the answer was no then you know that was okay so yeah, I, I do defend them on that part, but yes, but the pressure was definitely there. And if you had said yes to the engagement, because my father's mentality still to this day, because he views it, you know, back in the day of all the cultural guilt and, you know, shame that they carry, is that if the wedding cards had been printed, then there's no going back. Because as far as he's concerned, he's not going to stand in front of society and say a wedding isn't happening because everybody would judge him and not actually see that his daughter was going to be miserable. So he took that completely on himself as, you know, that that would devalue his status in society. Uh, because in India, that that is thought to be, you know, a huge, um, especially on a father a huge cultural mark and he carries that still with him to this day i want to bring up two things Ambila, thank you so much for bringing this up this is a big issue for a woman and for women in this society the cultural pressure and then the mentality that you know when you are raised in certain places and culture that it's still these days 2022 exists and I want to also let you know the international interracial marriage or um, couple kids those are really getting normal but a lot of times they pressure so for instance my friend who married to a Russian man um, they knew that the parents in Japan would not approve. So they dated like 10, 10 years until everybody else got married. And finally they said, yeah, we should go ahead and marry. But they wouldn't like say, um, we are going to get married because yeah. they knew right off that they would never approve that. Yeah. They were in more like a rural part of Japan. And then I think in Japan, it's definitely changing and especially in Tokyo, where more multiculturals are and then multi-racial international marriages are accepted and seen, but then rural part of Japan is still not, you know, yeah, accepted. And I remember that my ex-husband's tribal marriage, in, intercultural tribal marriage, were not accepted. So you have to marry within the tribes. And yeah. that is really big. No, no. So, so there was like an Igbo and Yoruba, and then 
it's it's no 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 yeah. mix yeah but they are nigerian they are same but then yeah. they rather or my ex to be somebody from a completely different culture they prefer the same tribe but then then evils i'm japanese so they prefer japanese than yoruba or something you know what i mean it's just like yeah. very exactly. yeah we have the caste system so you know back then not now so much i mean in india yes but things are changing because generations are changing so we um so for me it wasn't just indian it had to be the same caste indian yeah and so yeah that, that's it's amazing how many restrictions people can put on just for the you know because that's what they're used to so in India right now, caste is not existed. Is it is it getting more or like still kind of underneath under the breath type of pressure? Again, like you were saying um, regarding you know regions, it's very dependent on where you live. So cities, it's better. I wouldn't say it's gone because remember this is caste systems in India have been around probably since India started you know, from eons, it's not something that happened in the 21st century or 20th century, it's been there forever. So for that mindset and mentality to change, it's going to be taking a long time. But I do know that in the cities, it's slightly beginning to change because generations are changing. In um, smaller towns and villages, it's still very strong because it's not so much about the caste, it's more about the power and control because that's what it essentially boils down to is about the power and control and you know equality i'm above you and you're beneath me and you know because that that's what the system is it's all about your grades of where you fit into society and and then according to that what you're allowed to succeed in in society so if you're of what we call you know the lowest caste then please don't expect to be working in a corporate office. You might be cleaning that office, but you're certainly not going to be a CEO of that office. So that's the you know caste systems that existed in India. It it um, it kind of puts a barrier on the kinds of jobs you can have as well, according to the caste. And a marriage too, because my. Um student was saying that and then it's just like how do you know which one is which like no which like no how, did the parents tell you you are in this class do you are in this rank or can you tell by like last name like in japan sometimes you can tell by the last name and your ancestors histories by yeah. looking at the character the chinese yes. character and exactly. yeah yeah we, we have the same that um our surnames you can tell by our surnames which caste we fit into so yeah so that's another sign so that if you don't know by the jobs you definitely know by the surnames that they have wow so growing up when this like the culture and family pressure but you wanted to be an independent person in the uk how was your mental health growing up? I I know you said there was nobody that you could confide or really talk to. How were you doing back then? 
this is where I, I can actually pride myself in. Um, I have always had a strong intuition and belief about myself and the way my life was going to be. I suppose you could go back to what Oprah always says, from the age of four, I knew my life was going to be so much different to, you know, me being this um, slave, you know, um, that my grandmother was. So she said that, um, she said more or less exactly the same thing. So I always knew my life was going to be different. And no matter what others showed me or said to me, I, I just knew. And that confidence and belief was always within me. So growing up, my childhood was amazing. My childhood, you know, was fun. Teenage years was fun. Um, no restrictions to going to university, getting a great education. My father wanted all of his daughters educated. No worries about that. It was after because then his duty was done. So then, then that's when it, the period changed. Um, so with regards to my mindset, I, I was absolutely fine. I saw my siblings go because they were, I was, I'm the youngest, so they were, you know, going through their phases and, you know, of marriage. So I saw all of those things happening. And I kind of, I suppose, subconsciously, but consciously started going, oh, okay, I kind of know what to expect. And, you know, what might arise and things like that. So maybe I was better prepared. But I've always been a positive person. I've Since the age of 16, I've always worked on positive things. So reading positive books, uh, um, listening to positive audios. So there was always something within me that was constantly developing and questioning. And maybe that was one of the challenges my parents had that I questioned rather than just when oh okay fine no worries i'll you know i'll do whatever you want because i i, I want to know why <laughs> they say that when children are um learning to speak the you know the first thing that they constantly keep saying is why why do i need to do this why 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 and parents because they're you know the child is young they look kind of like get bored and fed up and rather than actually give the reasons why they're just constantly telling the child to shut up i had that throughout my whole age because I, i'm curious about life and people and how we tick and you know our behaviors and body language and of course on the psychic part as well so for me that was always a part of me so Growing up, my mindset was great, and that foundation helped me with the seven years because my working life was great. I had support there, but they couldn't do anything. They could be there, you know, and listen to me, and I could offload, and they could sympathize, but they couldn't understand because it wasn't their culture. Um, but they were great. But family that that's you know the support I didn't have at that time and because I kept hold of my job regardless of the pressures I kept hold of that job and that kept my sanity because I had support there uh, and I, I just I think I just dug my heels in because I knew my life was going to be different and I didn't want to settle. I still don't settle. And I, I refuse to settle on something that I know is going to make me unhappy. So therefore, when I decide to do something, 
it, it's because I want to do it, not because somebody has constantly pressured me to keep doing it because because I could have given up at any time if you know that was going to be my life. I could have given in any time and you know just come to terms with it at one point i did think okay i'll marry somebody and then divorce them the next day and for some reason i don't know why i never ever voiced that to somebody but my brother actually ended up saying that he goes you know what she's going to end up doing she'll just divorce him the next day and i looked at him and i went how do you know <laughs> because i thought that i thought okay if this is what you want and then i'll divorce him and then you can you know I can have my life and you can, you know, have your life because you've gone through whatever you want. So, you know, it's a win-win. And, and my brother went, I can't do that to another family where, you know, so he's like, oh. <laughs> so I, I was always, I mean, don't get me wrong, emotionally, it took its toll. It literally took its toll. Um, but I would just, cry it out to myself um you know, when i say to myself you know privately and then i would put my game face on and then i would just carry on with life so i learned that at a very young age um you know you put your game face on and then you just move forward in life and you you, you know just deal with things as they come It's interesting that you say you put game face on and like we have it like in Japan, like social mask, like neko kaburu. So that means like you know, everybody looks like, okay, but inside it's broken. Yeah. But that's kind of how society expects you to be. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. And also earlier on, you mentioned about like, you're not worth, you are not worthy if you don't have men, like, like, what you said about other women and the same thing in japan no matter how much of the career that you have like if you're not married if you don't have a boyfriend if you don't have children you're not really worthy and i was talking to my ecp and i'm a single mom and that's the pressure no matter whatever i accomplish like nobody says this Amila, but in my mind I feel so worthless. I'm not worthy because of the culture and the subconscious mind that because I don't have man, I got divorced. And then there's this really bad word in Japanese that my friend told, told me, oh, Batsuichi, like Batsuichi is like an X1. And then Batsuni is like an X2. So that means, you know, you got X out like twice or something. And it kind of hurt me. And I never thought about it until one person said that to me in Japanese. And I'm like, I didn't feel like, you know, you got cheated on. And um, so it's just like very like subtle things that you say, like a cultural bullying and like maybe not too much of intentional, but this mindset rooted mindset and these words that were formed around it to um to like you know, hurt people or not intentionally but like you know, can get like really powerful i think it, it's very much also dependent on 
whether you're fighting it or whether you're um, living it, you know, going with their flow, not the flow. Um, because a, a lot of the, as I said, the, the other families, you know, their children were growing up and they were all getting married and they were getting graduating. Then day after they were, you know, planning their weddings. They wanted to. It's not that they were forced to, they wanted to, because that's the culture they grew up with. They expect they accepted it, they embraced it. That's what they wanted. I didn't. I wanted a different life. I knew I could have a different life. So had I gone the other way and just accepted it and been one of those women planning my wedding since I was a teenager and you know, being happy with um my mother's guidance of you know you've got to be a good daughter-in-law not a good successful businesswoman you need to just be a good daughter-in-law because that's what people are going to judge me on not not me but my mother on whether she gave me the skills to you know cook and clean and be a good housewife and all of that kind of thing and and dress really well <laughs> to me none of that mattered because i would feed my husband he can have beans on toast you know he's not going to starve and there are just so many things that I, I as I said you know because I'm a curious person I need to know why I study human behavior and mindset and everything and when they couldn't give me the answers to why because they never questioned their parents because back in their day you didn't speak up you were a child so you only spoke when you were spoken to by the time it came to my generation it was very much that you did what you were told so it's not that you didn't speak you spoke but you did as you were told and now the generation is so different that they're like i'm sorry you don't understand us we're not listening to you but we'll you know do what we want so it's like oh so it's completely you know cultural advancement and i strongly believe i was brought born in the wrong era you know, because everything my nieces and nephews are experiencing now is what I fought to have. But I was so ahead of my time that, you know, my culture, society that fully embraces and accepts it now, at that time, no way. Wouldn't accept it at all. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So let's move on to my second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome. So I know this is a big cultural thing that it's hard to fight for. Um, what are the tools that you think that helped you to get to where you are right now? Well, at that time, the, the thing, as I said, um, a huge change happened in my life as a result of this. And that change was that I left my family. So I had just started, I had tried moving out of the family home a few times and it hadn't worked. There was lots of abuse and I was, you know, pressured back in. This particular time I had started studying to be a life coach. So I was getting the skills, you know, to cope uh, um, in, in, you know, raising boundaries, having healthier boundaries, respecting yourself, raising my self-worth. And I was also working with a coach as well. And I remember talking to her regarding, you know, the things that were going on and, you know, how unhappy I was. And she says, well, why don't you leave? And I told her 
I said, I've tried in the past, this happened, next happened. And she said, but why do you need to tell them? And I went, oh, I hadn't thought of that because my way had always been that I want them on my side, not necessarily their approval, but I want them on my side. I don't want to um, break ties with them. You know, so, you know, I hadn't thought of any alternative. So when she said to me, well, why do you need to tell them? And I just went, yeah, why do I? Because I'm of an age now where, what, why do I? With her help, and I don't mean her help, but her help as in she um, connected me to a network. And then from that network, I found a place for me to live, to move to. So therefore, the other guilt factor that my parents had against me is where are you going to go? You know, if you leave here, where are you going to go? Because you don't have your own home, you don't have your own place. And that was another cultural guilt thing. They didn't think that actually I can move into a flat, I can move into a hotel, I can move anywhere. So I um, one day packed my bags and I left them. It was strategic in the sense that I had found somewhere to live. I knew I was going to move. I'd started moving my stuff there. And I left them a letter and I left them the keys. And in that letter, I did not put any blame on them. I didn't put any finger pointing on them. I didn't say, you did this, you did that. Because of you, I was unhappy because of this, because of that. I just went, I'm sorry. I cannot meet your expectations. I cannot be happy. I have tried. And now... I need to go and do what I need to go and do. Just know that I love you. I'm safe. And I can't remember the exact wording, but I know that I didn't anybody, not any sibling, not anybody. I just said that I just could not live this life. I was really unhappy and I was falling ill and, and it was just too much. So um, and then for two years, they didn't know where I was. So I didn't leave any address. My telephone number that they did have, I spoke to the, my company and I thought this would be really difficult because we were all given a telephone number and the, the you know only way of changing that number would be, I, I assumed, would be never. So I remember speaking to HR at the time and I told them you know what was going on and they were amazing where I thought I would get resistance of them going, I'm sorry, it's your problem, it's your family, you know, nothing to do with us. They were so good. I was just literally gobsmacked. She went, no worries, no problems. We will issue with a new number straight away. We will take all of your addresses of our databases so that should the family call from in reception, they're only going to get this address and nobody else apart from HR is able to see that information I was just like oh my god I've never had anybody support me it was like whoa okay wow thank you and with that that helped um because then it took off that pressure where my family would be constantly calling me and you know which is what happened in the past when I tried to move away so that made so much easier and I was able to then start concentrating on rebuilding my life because I moved to a place where I didn't know anybody I didn't know a soul and so I had to build friendships community I had to get to know the area and 
a year after I left my family, I just made the decision to quit my job. I was still studying life coaching, so I was still studying all the skills and you know how to um, deal with situations. And um, so when I left my job, then I literally started to build my new life because up until then I was traveling, I was still part of my old life, still doing you know what I needed to do, and I kind of wasn't really settled into my new home because I was never there. And so that's when I made the decision. And when I made the decision, then things started to change. And then I was, yeah, literally working on myself. And it was, I think, two years before I reconnected with my family. And then it took 10 more years to build individual relationships work. Well, thank you so much for that. That's really brave and um, very happy that your HR was supportive and then you were able to find a place um, that needed. So my last question for you, Ambila, is a gift that came from this adversity. So how would you say a gift that came from your adversity? Well, the gift that came is that I am and have been for a long time reconnected to my family. We are not just through the experience I've been through, but lots of experiences, you know, together, but singly as well. We are a stronger unit. We are far more loving. We understand the, the paths that we have walked. So we've had conversations regarding, you know, what happened with me. Um, as a result, my nieces and nephews are now freely living the life that I fought for, and they fully understand the sacrifices that I went through for them to, I suppose, as an effect of it, not a result of it, but as an effect of it, for them to be able to have that life without it being questioned, without them having to go through the same abuse and you know everything that I've been through. And as a result, they found, you know, they've basically shown, I suppose, my parents, I suppose, that they can have the best of both worlds because they were all born in this country. So they didn't come from India and then, you know, get born. They were born in this country and people being born in this country, but still being able to respect and enjoy and love their culture as well as embrace the Western culture. They were like, wow, okay, yeah, we can live as a happy, you know, unit within a different country and still be able to embrace everything. So that's, yeah, what I would say is a gift. Well, thank you so much for coming in and then sharing this um, conversation on this podcast. And I'm really grateful that um, we were able to shed a light for this very issue and also, I'm very delighted to hear your nieces and nephews are really exploring the world that they deserve. And oftentimes, the gender issues are so penetrated and so deeply rooted that people just don't get it sometimes. So I really appreciate you being vulnerable and openly talking about this issue so that people who might be in this situation right now can learn something from this conversation. Thank you for giving me the platform to share my story. 
and hopefully to inspire others to know that they can overcome adversity themselves. And that support is out there. That yes. support is out there. Thank you so much again. And then we have more guests coming in this month and then next month and then moving forward. So I will see you next time.